Knockout Ginger episode 31 with my old pal Sammy G, guitar player, YouTuber, diehard Winnipeg Jets fan, brand new dad. Knockoutginger at gmail.com. Subscribe on all the things. Whatever your platform of choice is. Maybe Spotify. Do Spotify. I like Spotify. They make this easier for me as a podcaster. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. F all the haters. Hey. Check one, two, one, two. That's good. Yeah. Can you hear? Can you still hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Good. Yep, I'm just making sure I'm rolling there. I'm rolling here. That's focused. Okay. I'm good to go. Sweet. I haven't really figured out the best way to do this yet, but... Uh... Whatever. Whatever. Welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah. We're on. What's it, uh, what's it been like so far with a child? Well, it's been, he's four weeks old now. Um, I feel like it's one of those things where, and I have a lot of times, I've had a lot of times like this in my life where it's like the lead up is when you just like do all the thinking about it. And that's when you're going through all the, like those emotional reactions like oh i don't know what it's going to be like i'm scared i'm going to be a good dad i'm scared about this or i'm worried about this or i'm excited about this but then it happens and you're just like you're in it and you just do it yeah and it's like this is my this is my new life and um i've really enjoyed it for the most part that's good it's been really it's been really fun and it just like i don't know quickly i just i found like in these types of situations like i adapt pretty quickly right And this just now feels normal to me and it felt normal very quickly, but it was more just like the lead up and like the building anticipation of, of your whole life shifting over that seems more dramatic than it actually is when it happens. Um, yeah, I mean, little things, a lot changed, a lot changes, but it's something that has been very rewarding and like, just like seeing how he's grown up over four weeks. Like when we first came home with him, like he was drastically different in my eyes than he is now. And just like seeing a child who like kind of looks like you a little bit and you like notice like things in his like facial features that you're like, hey, that kind of looks like me. And just like seeing that little face and like thinking about all those things that are going to happen with you two in the future and all like the adventures you'll go on and all the things you'll teach him. And like it's only been four weeks, but you just like see, start to see those little things take place. It's crazy. Multiplying yep. is a crazy thing. Mm-hmm. Have you guys been seeing how you go seeing how like my parents have just like fallen in love with him so quick and how Jenny's parents like same, same deal. Like that's been also just like a cool, unique thing that I've never experienced before. Right. And it's like, it's a all in all, just like a very so far so good is what is how I would explain sweet being a dad. First, Except for like those times where he starts crying like crazy and like there's nothing you can do as that bottle warms up and you just got to wait for it to warm up as he screams at you like he's, a, he's about to have, about, like the world is ending for him. Yeah. Is what it feels like. Jesus. Is he the first 
grandchild on both sides? Not quite. On my side, yes. On Jenny's side, her brother uh, had a kid like two weeks before he was born. Huh. That's cool. So, yeah. So I'm pretty pretty close. That's awesome. Are yeah. you guys sleeping regularly, or like, what's the? How's it been so far? We've never slept. I like we've never really held normal sleep patterns, which may help. Um, like my schedule is out of control. Yeah. Like I'm going to bed at like five to six a.m. and waking up between like I don't know, like around two. Um, and then Jenny is kind of just like trying to sleep whenever she can. Because like she can't just like sleep for eight hours straight, and uh, we find he often will sleep for like four to five hours, starting around three ish sometimes in the afternoon often, or no a.m. a.m. But then he'll often will sleep from like midnight to two, and then be up for an hour, and then you give him a bottle, and then he's asleep for two to three to four to five hours. You don't really know. Um, and it's, there's only so much that I can do in those situations as well, because like we're doing for the most part, like we're not using, we're trying to use as little formula as possible. Right. So, but she's also like, it, it definitely helps. I think the situation that that's not weird for me to be up at weird hours. So like if she wants to sleep from like uh, midnight to four or something, then I've got no problem just like being awake at those hours and just like keeping an eye on him, feeding him when he wakes up, yeah. doing my work. Uh, the other thing is like for most of my, like what I've been doing since he was born, I've been working on the new course, which is like a fairly major endeavor. And I started shooting it at night, which means everything needs to be shot at night, which means I can't even like, once you get that first shot and it looks like it's dark in the studio, it's very strange. If then one day it's bright out. Oh damn. Yeah. That's yeah. Which, which means I can't hit record until nine thirty. So it's not like I could work during the day anyway. Right. Damn, I never thought of that. Yeah, I, one of the things I found like doing like these this YouTube thing and making courses, there's just so many little things you just don't really think about that go into it that are just a pain to deal with. Last year when we did it, like I blacked out all of my windows. Um, like I bought poster board and just like put it all, all over top of them. So we didn't need to worry about the fact that it was like sometimes sunny or sometimes dark when I was shooting. The problem is this year, like it was the middle of a pandemic and I didn't want to go to Dollarama to buy a poster board. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, just going to roll with it. Uh, what's the new course? New course is the craft of soloing. Sweet. Yeah. I'm actually like the first two that I did were very much just like teaching something that needed to be taught for me to do the fun stuff. It's like, you got to learn we got to be speaking the same language, which is what I, the first two courses were. Let's get on the same page with the way that I think about music and like the structures. So that when I talk about things like, okay, a C major seven chord, it means this. When I talk about playing like the, the root, it means this. And so once I kind of laid that fr uh, framework, like the next stuff I could do was like all the fun things. At least that's kind of how, how I anticipated it. That's interesting. So do you have like, you, so you already have a built in, uh, what's the word? Audience. Audience, not audience. <laughs> well, obviously an audience, but um, is it the same people that keep doing your courses? No, it's you buy them. Uh, it's you buy them one offs, or I guess bundled together. Uh, so like you could buy two together for a discounted price than if you just like bought one of them. But it's like if you buy one, you don't get access to the next one. 
I mean, someday I'd like to do something where like, if I have a hundred courses, I'd like to just do like a Netflix type of service where you pay a, uh, like a, a subscription fee and then you have access to everything, mm-hmm. but there's just not enough of that yet. And I think it takes a while to build towards that, but it's something we're working on and I can only do so much of that stuff too. Cause it's a lot of work and it's not a lot of it. Isn't the most fun work. Like I'll, I'll write out like 20 pages of script that I need to re- recite to the camera. And that's just like soul sucking. Like I, I hate doing that. That's my least favorite part of my job. Yeah. Is reciting my script. I can imagine. Like I have like such a, I basically have like a, just such a shitty operation here with the podcast. <laughs> And like nothing is the same ever. I'm never in the same room because I always. Are you in the basement right now? Right now I'm in my my parents' basement. Yeah. Yeah, I've slept on that couch. Yeah. Uh, but like I dr- I generally drive to people's houses to do this because like the last thing that I like I never want to be like, hey, can you commute to my place to do my podcast for no money yeah. that no one's gonna listen to? So it's <laughs> like I just try to make it as easy as possible for the guests, but in doing that everything's always different yeah. so it's always just an editing shit show yeah it's a bit of a charm to it is it a, is it all edited or is it just uh off the cuff uh everything's edited i only cut out things that are like i i edit out schools because no free ads and uh sometimes we get like it's it's kind of incredible how some people i think forget there's a microphone in front of them and then we just go down this dark hole of like talking extreme shit. So like, I always have to cut that stuff out. But I mean, that's the that's the stuff that people want to listen to, though. Correct. However, uh, I I'm I still have to participate in this community. You know, <laughs> that's a good point. Like I'm the door guy at the Rex. I see most of these people like a couple nights a week. If and also like for most of your guests, probably like this would be one of the first podcasts they'd ever done. A, would be my guess. Yeah, generally, there's like I have a couple reoccurring guests that have their own podcasts. Yeah, and there's so there's a couple podcasts in the city, so it's kind of a or obviously in the city, but in our in our little music community, so it's becoming more of a regular thing. But it's a. Uh, it's pretty funny. You just give someone a microphone and all of a sudden they're like, all right, this is a private conversation. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's okay. If like they know that going in and you're like, that's like certain podcasts you watch. You're like, that is what I'm getting out of this. It's just like, it's stripped down as raw, but also you know that the people going into it have that experience so that they know how to frame certain things. And, and, because sometimes when you're speaking off the cuff, you say something and you look back and you're like, man, that is not how I meant to say that. And that's going to come across really badly. Yeah. But if you had enough experience, I think then you kind of learn how to avoid going down those rabbit holes. You can kind of get an idea of what you're saying, how it comes across. Um, whereas like I remember my first podcast that I ever did was in Winnipeg, just like somebody's house. And I think like, I don't really remember it, but I feel like, it was much less like I just I didn't know how I was going to come across because I'd never done it before. Whereas now where I've, I've done a number of these, like I know. I know how what I'm saying is going to be interpreted and I don't think it's going to be 
taken out of line. Yeah, like we were, as far as I'm concerned, as soon as you sat down, it felt like we were going. Yep. Like it felt like definite, I'm obviously now going to jinx this whole conversation, but it felt like we were rolling. Sometimes we just, the first 20 minutes, half an hour, we're just sitting there like slugging through bullshit. And I'm like, okay, this is not anything. No one's, I can't even, why is this happening? (laughs) I always wonder that whenever I do one of these. Is anybody going to be interested in what I have to say about about this topic? Sometimes uh, they are. It's more often than not, they are. Because I feel like the thing about podcasts is people don't listen to a podcast. This isn't true for all podcasts, but people don't go into a podcast thinking that this is going to be a, a short, concise, smoothly edited thing. Like you, The reason why I listen to a lot of the podcasts I listen to is because I just feel like I'm hanging out in the room with the two guys or three guys or four girls or whoever who are talking to each other. Right. And like half the fun is when I listen to a podcast like Stuff You Should Know, one of my favorites, and they go off on these tangents that aren't even related closely to the topics they're talking about. But I like the guys, and so it feels like I'm in the same room with them. Yeah. And so I feel like a, a lot of the time, you don't listen to a podcast to get a short, quick, nicely edited, smooth thing. You go on other places for that. Podcast is to feel like you're hanging out with, with a couple bros. Oh, shit. What? Um, my audio has stopped recording. Well, I've got most of it, so. Oh, is my audio just a backup here? Uh, I mean, it depends. Like, it's whatever. I'm, I've started. I started rolling again. Um, just gave me an error that said my computer was working too hard. So. You sound, uh, it seems like we have a good connection. You sound really good. So okay, good. I should be uh, totally fine with this. There's five minutes that I was recording, so I don't know how long we've been talking for. Um, I don't know how long we've been talking for, but whatever it is, there's going to be some time that is not there, but I'm now recording from this point forward again. All right. Whatevs. So I've got like, I'm probably not, there's probably a way better way for me to be doing this. I've got my Zoom. And I've got my microphone going into the Zoom. And I've got the headphone jack of my laptop going into the other microphone slot mm-hmm. in the Zoom. You and, can just record Zoom videos though, right? Yeah, but, the it's, audio? but it's sort of sketchy. Uh, yeah. So like I get the file saved and sometimes there's like a lot of clipping and it's like cuts out. and But whatever. The way that I think you would do it, like, so what I'm doing right now, you, it's not an easy thing to record audio that you're hearing on your computer. Like, you can get a thing called Soundflower, and it reroutes your signal through your computer. So, like, I, I'm recording my audio on Pro Tools right now. Yeah. Um, but I could also make it so that whatever the computer is putting out, it goes right back into it. So it kind of, like, reroutes that signal back into itself. Right. I used uh, to have Soundflower and I could never get it to work. Yeah, there, it's it's pretty buggy. So I've had issues with that. Uh, when I used to live stream, like there was a period of time, a couple months, maybe like three or four months where I live streamed every Wednesday. And uh, one of the things that I like to do was listen to people's music. Okay. Like I would listen to like people would like comment their, uh, their band's recording and I would play it on the live stream and then just like talk about it. Right easier said than done because what you need to do is you need to somehow like you're streaming through your computer and then you need to somehow while you're streaming keep in mind like all this time 
this is recording. It's recording the audio. My audio is going through my my uh, interface here into my computer into the streaming service. So, so somehow I need to go on like YouTube or wherever people are commenting, grab their link, play that link, and then make it so it goes out of my computer into the interface and then back into the computer to the streaming service or either route it specifically from where I'm listening to it, my browser back into the streaming service without interrupting everything else that was going on. And I realized this is just a huge, huge ordeal. And so what I did was I had two computers and I ran a cable out of the headphone jack into one of my outputs or inputs on my, um, my recording unit. So I took the headphone jack, okay? Yeah. And then just like took that. So the headphone signal was, was being played. But however, that mixes it down into mono. Perfect. And so then every recording was in mono. It was just a pain in the ass. It was a, it wasn't great. Those streams are still around the internet somewhere, and like it just it wasn't worth it. And then a couple got claimed. Like people would share me songs, and then they would like whoever had hosted their song would claim it, and then I couldn't monetize the video. And I was just like, I'm done with this. I'm done with this entire thing. <laughs> I can't deal with the live streaming right now. I feel like everyone. That's all everyone's doing. Oh yeah, that's a. I mean. I feel like there's a rant in here somewhere and I might, I might go on it. As soon as musicians couldn't play live, they were like, a lot of people like, okay, well I'll start live streaming because like, that's the logical next step. Yeah. And I think what people don't understand is there is already, unless you're at that level of like that upper echelon level where you got such a huge following, it doesn't matter where you go. If you're post Malone, you could live stream, you could go on Twitch, you could start making YouTube videos, you could go on Facebook, doesn't matter. People are going to follow you there. But it's when you go to that, that, uh, that more grassroots level. And I feel like I just saw on my Facebook, here's another thing about me that, that is a point of, of uh, an interesting conversation. Two years ago, my Facebook uh, account somehow like, got into the world and then 5,000 people added me and I accepted them all like an idiot. Nice, good. Um, and so that has just like shown me a glimpse into humanity that I never really knew existed. And it's not a pleasant glimpse that I've seen just like a random sampling, I guess of it's not a random sampling. It's a, a closer to a random sampling of the population. I look into that than I've ever had in my life. Cause normally when you're on Facebook or you just go into the world, you're naturally surrounded by your people, people who you've, um, gotten to know through your life yeah For right? the mo it's like just like an echo chamber essentially yeah and maybe not even so much of an echo chamber but to to some degree that but also more it's like it's a reflection of who you are like the people who you're going to keep in contact with and who you're going to be friends with on facebook are going to be probably people who you who you at least like in some some respect and they're going to be kind of a a reflection of who you are or where you come from or where you've been. Like all my friends on Facebook were from like from Toronto, people I knew from Winnipeg, people who I met when I was traveling, but people who I knew and said, I want to keep in touch with this person in some respect. But when you accept 5,000 random invites on Facebook, you just get much closer to a random sampling of the population than I think most people ever get a glimpse of mm -hmm. or, or, or normally exposed to. And, um, Oh man, my thing stopped recording again, but I've just restarted it. And it was just like, I don't know. It was a, 
It's a mess. It, it is a mess. It's a it's a mess, but it's like watching a house burn down. Like you just got, I can't stop watching it. Like there's people who I've never met and their stuff just keeps on getting served up to me. And I'm just like, this is just such a disaster. It's such, this person is such, just such a mess in every respect. But I, I, I I'm going to keep watching. Great. I'm going to read those comments. I'm going to read their horrible racist rants and I'm just going to read, read, I'm going to have no emotional attachment to it. I'm not going to comment on it, but I'm going to keep watching. Because it's interesting. If nothing else, it's interesting. There's a case study there. Yeah. What got me on this topic? Why was I talking about live this? streams? Live streams. So anyway, a lot of those five thousand people were musicians, and so I just saw like everyone was like, "Okay, let's go, and we'll start live streaming. That will make up for this lost thing that we're doing, playing live." Without realizing that there are already a lot of people who do that already. That that niche that demand for that is already totally filled yeah. before all these other people started joining. And um, I don't know. Like I, I, I don't think I watched many of them because it was just like, I've already like, I know the people who I like to watch on the internet and these people aren't really them. Yeah. It's uh... and you also don't, it, there's an art to it. There's an art to making sure that it, it looks good. Um, it sounds good and that you can entertain people when there's not an audience and you don't have anyone to feed off of. And like learning to be on camera was something that took me a, a long period of time to do. You can see, like I made my first YouTube video October 14th. I didn't start talking to the camera for real until like a year later. The first bit, it was just basically me recording cover songs. When did you Every start then, October 14th of? Uh, I meant uh, um, October 9th of 2014. Ah. So October, 2014. And uh, you can just like see like the way that I talk to the camera is drastically different then. And even when I just started talking to the camera regularly, to me, it just doesn't feel natural. And it was something that I knew wasn't quite right. I knew I wasn't quite doing it. I didn't know how to change it. And even like two or three years ago, like I can, I don't really enjoy watching a lot of those videos because I see it's not, it doesn't feel natural. And it's only been within like, I'd say the last, over probably a year and a half that I felt like, oh yeah, this is, this is as good as it's going to get. But it takes a while to get there. And you, it's not like you just like read uh, a tutorial on how to do it. You just have to put those hours in over and over and over again. In the same way, I'm sure like your first podcast feels very different than the ones that you've done more recently. Eh. <laughs> uh, every time I edit them, I have like a small panic attack. Like, Like it's it's just like I can't to a certain degree it's like I can't believe people are listening to this. But whatever. That's that's how I, it's gonna go. Um I don't like listening podcasts. I never listen back to the podcast I was on. I really don't like it. Oh, it's like it's uh I thought I hated hearing myself play music. <laughs> and it's like not even close. Hearing myself talk is just so much worse. And See, I don't mind hearing myself talk because I edit myself talking all the time. Right. But the difference is it's entirely scripted. So I know even before I shoot a video what it's probably going to look like. I know how I want it to sound and I'll deliver a line. Like say I'm trying to get a line down. Like I'll just go over it and say it as many times I need to until I feel like it sounds like what I want it to. Right. Whereas with a podcast, I know that that's not the case. 
And I just, I don't, yeah, I never go back and listen to the podcasts I've done. It's tough. And a lot of it is just like getting over yourself a little bit. Like the things that I, the things that I really dislike about myself and give me a hard time when I'm editing are often things that people compliment me on. Like so often people tell me that I have like this very, um, like these pauses. Yeah. Like they say that it helps them. It it somehow like grabs their, their attention and it, it like keeps them almost like sitting on the edge of their seat. Like what, what's the next word going to be? But I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here editing it and I'm just like, who taught me how to talk mm-hmm. <laughs> and why, like, like, and I see, it's just, ha- it just happens. I don't think dead air is the end of the world for podcasts. I watch, or I listen to a lot of podcasts and sometimes the hosts, they're like, Oh, it's, it's dead air right now. They need to fill it up just by like humming or just like blabbing on about something. It's a podcast. Yeah. This isn't, it's not a Super Bowl commercial where you got to make use of every 20 seconds you have. Yeah. Podcasting it. If we could do other things, we would. <laughs> that should be what's your motto for the podcast or your tagline I that could be it <laughs> if i could do something else i would be doing it uh for a while it was uh i was using the hashtag aggressively unprofessional <laughs> a good one i like I don't that know. but uh, and like back to this whole like trash talk editing like i was a little more um I let a bit more of it go when I wasn't standing in the doorway at the Rex every other night. Are you still, you're not able to do that now. No, but. But uh, you were doing the, there was a crossover between podcast and when you were doing that. Yeah. And uh, there was just this thing of like, okay, I'm seeing these people often. So I think. The people who are listening or the people who were. Well, a little bit of both. Like it's a pretty small. Yeah, it's a jazz community. It's a jazz community. For the most part, like I'm starting to like stretch out and get like other people because how long can you muck around with your jazz buds in a circle before your, your podcast goes nowhere. But, uh, it, there's this, like, suddenly it becomes real when you see these people all the time. So I, yeah. I I've like tried to tighten it up a little bit, but I don't know. Well, it's kind of, that's definitely also kind of cool. The fact that. You know, somebody who would, you have direct access to a lot of the people who who would be listening and they can say, Hey, you're, you're Mike, the podcast guy. How's it going, man? Listen to the last episode. Good stuff. Or someone comes into the racks. They're like, Hey, what's going on tonight? Not, not much, but if you want to go home and listen to my podcast, here's my card. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. Like it kind of. It's been about the same. We've kind of we've kind of flattened the curve, as as they say, nowadays, <laughs> with the with the podcasting. But like right away, as soon as I started, people who I didn't know would come up to me at shows, and start talking to me about about my podcast. Well, it's now you're providing a um, like a value to that that community in a way, or like a yeah, a value, I guess. I mean taking people's money at the Rex is one thing, but also providing some like one of the creative outlets or sources of, 
of media in that community adds a whole other dimension to it. And it's like, it's an important and cool thing to do. Um, I know even like back in the, won't say the name of the school that I went to days, back in those days, like you would see a guy and you're like, Hey, he played in that band. That's pretty cool. And in the grand scheme of things, that band was nobody, but you're like, it's cool that he's doing that. Or it's like, Hey, there's that guy. Um, did you hear that they had that song in that Budweiser commercial? And you're like, Oh, that's super cool. And just like having done a thing, whatever that thing happens to be a podcast, playing in a band, running a YouTube channel. It's just like doing a thing like that, I think creates, um, or gives people something to, to respect you for and, and appreciate you for. Uh, well, I don't know. It, I think it, I think more so it shows me how starved the jazz and improvised music community is for some sort of like, just some sort of content. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Are there, like you were saying a couple of your buddies have podcasts. Yeah. But they're, they're on other, they're like, they're just a little different. Like, uh, one of them is like strictly composition. One of them is like a little bit more produced. Is your, would you say this podcast is more shoot the shit with a musician or someone in the industry and see what happens? Pretty like much. Conversation. Yeah. Just I a like, conversation. I like those. It's like yeah, definitely those are the best. Like my model is definitely Rogan. Yeah. Well, when are you going on Spotify? Already am. When are you going exclusively on Spotify? Already am. <laughs> Uh, it's weird. I I don't know why they must have given him so much money. Oh, so much. I would. I'm. I have no idea. I'm not even close in, into this world to know anything about the numbers. But my guess is like a hundred million. Because he doesn't need. Like, if you're like, what what kind of money are you getting if you have? Like, it's. I guess it's impossible to say. But if you're getting. 190 million downloads per month. That's plus any, cause he has a YouTube page, which he won't be using anymore. I'm guessing. And those, those videos, like his videos that are uploaded onto his YouTube page get a lot. Yeah. But like, I mean, if you, if you Google, like, I don't know what these numbers are. Like maybe it's everything all together. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just podcasting platforms. I don't know. His his um, YouTube page has 8.3 million subscribers. And so I'm assuming that the Spotify deal has him not posting to YouTube anymore. Right, because Spotify... Even if he didn't have anything else besides YouTube. Like if he was only doing YouTube, an 8.3 million subscriber, 8.4 million subscriber page is bringing him in a lot of money. Right. And I don't, I don't really listen to him much. I just kind of listen to the highlights a lot of the time. But if he's got sponsors on board or he's selling a thing that he does, you would need to pay him that a guy like that. Um, oh, hang on. Let's stop recording. You would need to pay somebody in that situation a lot of money. Like it's crazy. A lot. Like he's in a position where he only reads ads on the audio version of his of his podcasts. And that's like it, well, it's one of the biggest podcasts in the world in one of the the bigger mediums now. Yeah. I, I looked up some numbers once to get an idea of like what traditional media numbers look like compared to like YouTube. So a while back, 
these two YouTubers got into a boxing match together, uh, Logan Paul and KSI. Yeah. And um, the numbers that they drew were like close. Their their match, their one fight was close to the Super Bowl. Like I think the Super Bowl was a hundred million views, and they drew seventy five million. It's crazy. Yeah, and it, here's another number: Stanley Cup playoffs, finals, around five million ish views per game. Yeah. So a guy like Joe Rogan, who is, if you're saying he's getting a hundred and thirty million, one ninety. 190 million downloads a month. Oh, a month. Well, I, I mean, what does what does one episode get? I don't I don't know, but you got to think about the ad dollars that go into a thing like one NHL game yeah. in the playoffs. That's that's a much bigger production than the Joe Rogan experience. So, there's a lot of value that he can charge. Um, and I'm sure Spotify gave him like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, zeros on that paycheck, whatever it is. Yeah. Cause they're also, if I heard it, if I heard it was a hundred million, sorry to interrupt you. No, it's, it's, it's so hard to not interrupt on the, when you do the zoom. Yeah. Cause there's a bit of a lag. Um, but yeah, if I heard it was a hundred million, wouldn't surprise me. If yeah. I heard it was 150 million, I'd be like, yeah, that's, that makes sense. It's also the beginning of their video channel thing yeah i didn't know that was a thing but that's a very interesting uh dynamic that i i hope it's i mean there needs to be a competitor for youtube out there the what all of us do would be, benefit greatly from a youtube competitor you think and so? there's nothing even i think so why uh, i think if youtube knew that a lot of us could just jump ship and go to an equally powerful platform. Oh, I see what you're saying. Then I think we would get treated differently. I think they would make more of an effort. And I don't think I don't have a, a hate on for YouTube. Like I know some, some creators do. Um, I feel like the world that I, I have operated in, uh, the content that I've put out has been received very well. Like that's the kind of content that YouTube wants to put out into the world. Right. But I don't think that's the only thing that provides value on YouTube as a platform. I think there's content that would be yet less advertiser friendly that I really enjoy watching that I think has a place and should be available somewhere. And I think those types of creators bring in um, a lot of, of money and, and YouTube just knows like they can't go anywhere. We can demonetize a lot of their videos. We can do things that, are in the best interest of okay here's a, a here's what i would say youtube will always do what's in the best interest of their advertisers i think for the short run versus like the creators on the long run they'll prioritize getting the money for from the advertisers and sometimes that i think that looks like they promote people like jimmy kimmel or they want to promote those family friendly things that have already that are on like mainstream um tv that have already been deemed advertiser friendly because they're on that medium they will prioritize that stuff any day of the week than they would a guy like me they'll push those kind of con that kind of content forward but if they knew that all these smaller creators or all these um creators that weren't quite as advertiser friendly had the power to jump ship 
I think they would make more of an effort to make us feel, I don't want to say welcome. Maybe they, they, they would make more of an effort to um, make things as good as they could be for us. Whereas right now they just know that what's he going to do? Where's he going to go? Where are you going to go? What platform are you going to, if you quit YouTube, where are you going to go? Right. And so they don't have to change certain things. They don't have to, for example, I used to have a, a contact at YouTube. And like that was part of the YouTube partner program. If you get over a certain amount of subscribers, you have a contact at YouTube who can help you out. Totally, totally useless. Uh, to the point where now like they've shifted over a bunch of times. Like I've got like five contacts who I've had. The last one doesn't even respond to me anymore. I think they would take things like that, creator well-being a lot more seriously, making sure that we were happy and not wanting to jump ship if there were valid competitors out there, but there's just not. I hope there is. It's very um, interesting. Yeah. Competition, I think, would be good in this in this realm. I don't think I don't think it would hurt. Because even if like say something happened where I was like, you know what, YouTube really dropped the ball and it's just, it's too big for them to look after everyone. Mm -hmm. People fall through the cracks who don't deserve to fall through the cracks. And it's just way too big to for that not to be the case. And I don't really fault them for that because it's if you knew how much um how much content goes on to YouTube, how just the sheer numbers of how much there is on there and how many people have channels that are 10,000 subscribers, how many people have channels that are hundred thousand subscribers, how many people have channels that are a million subscribers. There's a ton, there's tons and tons and tons, no matter what they do, there would be, unless something changed right now, there's going to be people who fall through the cracks who are really negatively affected by some of the decisions that make that might be good for the general whole. And they have to make decisions for the general whole because, again, there's too many people to be dealing with everybody's individual problems. They don't want to take the resources away from other places so that they deal with, like, if I dealt with something that was really unique to my situation. Whereas if there's another um, platform, I think that they might start taking that side of things more seriously and maybe drawing resources away from something else to put towards making sure people like me were as happy as we could be on this platform. Right. It's interesting how, uh, you know, do you, uh, oh shit, what's his name? Uh, Tim Pool, I think. Yeah, why, why do I know this name? Uh, he used to work for Vice. He's got a pretty big YouTube channel. I think it's like he's considered like a news person, maybe, or a journalist. I don't, I don't really know. But he's often um, on Rogan. No, I don't know this guy. He he appears on Rogan here and there, and he talks about how um, a very similar thing. Like he is, he often toes the line of uh, what's maybe YouTube friendly and not YouTube friendly, and uh, some of his things get pulled down, some of his things get hidden, and he's got, um, but he's got such a huge channel that. Basically, he has several contacts at YouTube and they and like several people watch all of his videos as they're posted and blah, 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 blah. And it's like a really intense thing for him because so many of his videos get like pulled yeah. or like. Uh, is shadow banning a thing on YouTube? Not as far as I know. 
I think they will just like, they'll take you down. They won't hide it. Uh, Um, But there are things that happen where there's like, they will suppress some of your content. They will do things so that it's like not shared as much as it would be. Right. Because the way that you grow on YouTube and like the bulk of the views that I get are when um, my video gets like recommended off to the side and just random people are, are clicking on it. And it doesn't come from the subscribers. It comes from the new people who aren't subscribed. Now, the reason that it starts getting shared there, like they're not going to share something and recommend something to you if it's like really going against what YouTube stands for. Right. So, but you understand it. I mean, I just think some of the things they do are pretty, are pretty clumsy. I think it makes sense what they're doing and the reasons that they do it. But I think it's just like really clumsily put in there. And the reason why is because they just don't have enough of a workforce to deal with this huge, huge amount of people who all have these unique needs. And I just, I would hope that that would change and that they would put more of an effort into that. Um, Right. It's crazy though. Like if you think about it, it's like, it's, I mean, it's running YouTube is like being the president. Yeah. Like there's just so many people and you just can't help everyone and you can't please everyone. Yeah, it's exactly what it's like. And no matter what you do, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be really unhappy. And those are going to be the people who let you know. It's not so much going to be the people who are like, yeah, it's fine decision. Or yeah, you're doing a good job. It's the people who are really unhappy. Right. And someone's always going to be really unhappy because there's just so, so many people out there. And I think it would be good for things to change a little bit. Um, I think one of the biggest issues is that the general population doesn't understand how ads work on YouTube. So when I, um, there's been times where like I've, my video has been, somebody's watched one of my videos, right? Mm-hmm. And then like uh, an advertisement by, I don't know, say Toyota comes up before. And one of my buddies who watched my video would be like, wow, it's crazy that Toyota is advertising on your video. I don't, they don't choose to advertise on my video. They just put advertisements on YouTube. I don't pick them to advertise on my video. They just advertise. It's They do not endorse me. They never see me. They don't know who I am. Okay? And I don't think a lot of people understand that just because, say, a Toyota ad ran before this really um, maybe a, a video where some guy was, like, swearing the whole time and just, like, acting like an idiot. Toyota's not endorsing that person. Right. But... People don't understand that. So when like these cases of a YouTuber acting like an idiot and doing things that are really detrimental or just like just genuinely bad things, people now associate the brand with that. And they try to say, oh, if you Toyota must endorse um, whoever this guy is who made all these horrible remarks, they don't realize that that connection isn't there like there is in traditional media. Right. Right. And so I think. If people understood that just a brand putting their video on YouTube is not endorsing the content that it comes before. No, they don't have any say on that. For the most part, like there's an algorithm deciding all those things. If a a video, um, if Toyota's video comes up before a video that's like recruiting terrorists or something, there's no connection between those things. There's no endorsement between those two things. Right. So, but because what happens is when somebody acts like an idiot on YouTube, then it, you often see brands pulling away because they don't want people to think that there's an endorsement there. 
Um, and I, like, I think just like most, until that divide has happened and people see, they're not screenshotting the Toyota vet, at video that plays before the terrorist recruiting video and sending it to Toyota. Until people dissociate those two things, I think YouTube will always err on pushing down, they'll err on the side of the advertiser versus the creator. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Um, so when it comes to advertising, on your when so when youtube advertises on your channel yeah like the videos i played before yeah does a does a cut of that go to the creator yeah so for the most part yes so when so does it go the other way too like sometimes people do ad reads on podcasts or whatever does youtube take a cut of the ad read nope no no that's interesting um YouTube takes, I think it's a 55-45 split. And so that's another point of like contention is people are like, wow, YouTube is taking way too much money from us. But it's not like we can just unionize and stop working and go to this other platform or something. It's just like, that's what you're stuck with. You're getting whatever YouTube says you're getting unless you want to not do this job. Right. There's no way that we can negotiate better rates. We have no negotiating power with YouTube. Whatever it is, 45-55 split, that's what I think it is. Yeah. If you're not happy with that, what are you going to do? Right. But also there's probably people who can throw their weight around a little. Like I would imagine Rogan would have the ability to say, hey, I need more ad money from these. I mean, I I don't know because like I'm not at that level of like his channels over 10 times bigger than mine. But I know that there is nothing that I could do there. One of the things that has been done in the past is you can work with companies who will claim to negotiate better ad rates and stuff like that. But I'm very skeptical of, I've had very bad experiences with those companies called MCNs, multi-channel networks. Yeah. Um, so you can get pretty more, if you get to a certain level, I, I'm pretty sure no, I'm, I, I am certain that you can get like preferential, I think it's called preferred ads or something, where if you get to a certain level, you get better ads, but I know, or better ad rates rather, but I know like one of the channels I watch, Philip DeFranco, like a news channel, I know that he gets demonetized all the time. He's got six plus million subscribers. So you have very little say because like at the end of the day, if you don't like it, what are you going to do? They know you're not going to go anywhere. Right. And say things change, say people start pulling a bunch of money from the advertising revenue, which is what exactly what's happened over the last month or so. Um, then you just see things plummet. What's plummeting? Like ad rates. Oh. They got pandemic. They got pandemic hard. Yeah. That's uh I mean that's another thing that you don't even think about. Yep. Uh you'll still see ads on YouTube. But they're one of the things I've noticed just watching YouTube is that a lot of the high budget ads are no longer there. Like you see a lot of just cheaper looking things that some guy with a camera made versus yeah. like those high budget Toyota ads. I don't know why I'm using Toyota as an example. Hyundai, the high budget Hyundai ads. You're not seeing those ones um, because a lot of them just like they realized they needed to. People aren't buying cars. People aren't buying this other stuff. So we got to pull our, our ad campaigns down 
When that's the case, that means there's less demand for those ad spots. So those ad spots get sold for cheaper. And so someone like me, like I saw, uh, I think probably 50% drop off on my ad rates this year or not this year, this month. So like the normal amount of money I would expect to make on the views that I got half. Damn. Maybe one third. Um, but I've diversified enough so that all my eggs aren't in the YouTube basket. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you do, how do you diversify? Like, are you, so you obviously you have your YouTube videos and then like these courses that you're doing, is that just like, so the course platform's huge. Like that, that just, was the, the, the big game changer for me. Is, so do you just do that on like Patreon or like, how do you, no, that's on, that's on teachable. That's like a separate thing. Uh, so teachable is a hosting platform for courses, but if you were to, it's essentially like a Shopify and Shopify will just like host your store. Right. You don't necessarily know that it's hosted on Shopify, but it's like, it's your store. And so teachable is kind of like that same idea. You go onto samuraiguitartheory.com and you see my course platform and you see that, okay, I can buy this course, I can buy this course. And if you buy that course, it unlocks that course for you. And you can watch the videos of that course and you can do like the quizzes and get all the documentation and access all the, uh, all the stuff that's essentially behind that paywall. Um, it looks like it's like if you, you would never know that it's hosted by a course platform unless you like could spot that kind of thing. Like it just looks like a website that I built that hosts that kind of thing hmm. in the same way that like Squarespace does, um, templates for, for their thing. This is a, a course template. And so with that, um, like I've been able to, will be able to weather the storms for things like this because even like I've had a sponsor that dropped out that was uh, so that was gonna do a video with me and it was like a video for like the target audience would have been the musician on the go and the contract like I I had the contract and they're like hey we can't do this right now because we can't advertise to the musician on the go and I mean I totally understand that um, I I like the company a lot and I was just like okay well we'll put this on hold hopefully we come back to it right. But between those two things, like that was a major chunk of income that was just gone over these last two months. But since I also have this own thing that I totally control, I don't control YouTube ad rates. I don't control the sponsors who want to do like ad reads uh, or have me advertise their products. Those could disappear, but I still control my merch that I sell. Um, I still control Patreon to some, to some extent. Uh, I still have control of, especially the course platform. And when you have like something of what I would consider quite valuable to a lot of people, um, you can, people are, are willing to buy something like that. And it was an important step to make. It's a lot of effort that I put into it and like a big investment to get it to where it's at. But it's like, I don't know, like that's part of my, plan going forward is to do that because that's like something i'm really really proud of it brings in it brings in money to make things much more stable in this environment um i can advertise it on di in different places like put ads on instagram for it ads on facebook so if youtube just falls off the cliff i'm not going to long McQuaid with a, a a resume in my hand right yeah i'm not going back to teaching six and seven year olds guitar because of that at the very least yeah, at the very least, it's a safety net, but it sounds like you enjoy it also. So, it's I've enjoyed it more. This last one I did, I enjoyed a lot more than the first two. The first two were like fairly what I would consider like dry stuff. It's music theory. 
Um, I really enjoyed being done with it and looking at it and saying, I think this is probably there's, a, I can say for those, those subjects that I teach on there, I don't think there's a better resource out there that exists for those. I'm sure there's ones that are just as good, but I think it stands up to anything else that anyone's ever done. And we got it there because Jenny is a, like she animates and edits, like she does video for, for, for a living. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, I paid her to, to edit these things and it takes or animate and edit them. And like, it's a huge, huge work, um, investment for her. But because of that, they can get to that level that I never would have been able to get them to if I was just doing it all on my own. And like, it's just, it's a feeling of pride to be able to put that into the world and say like, I'm just really happy with the way this thing turns out and turned out doing it. And like reading 20 pages of script is not very much fun, but when it's all done, like that sense of fulfillment is pretty cool. And also just like seeing comments where people are like, I took this course and it just, it's exactly what I needed and I couldn't recommend it enough. Like it's really, it's cool to, to see that kind of stuff. And now with the next one I'm doing where I've kind of laid that framework for the more dry stuff. Now it's more about like having fun. Like the last one I did um, was a lot more creatively fulfilling than the first two. And will be a big part of what I do going forward, but I can only do like two a year or else I'm just going to go nuts. How many, how many like lessons or whatever in, in each course? They usually, uh, I believe it's like eight to 10 on each one. It's a lot of work. It is. And there's a lot of things like I've done, having done the third one, I've kind of refined the process a bit, but the first one, um, there was a major learning curve there that probably took way more time than I thought it would take. Things like realizing that you're not shooting an artistic video. Like when I do things on YouTube, like I'm trying to make it look as good as it can. Whereas with the courses, it's supposed to be as educational as it can be. So like what might be a really cool shot on my guitar, like looking at the headstock that might look awesome, but you can't really see my fingers as well. That's not what you want to do. You want to have the one that comes dead on that maybe doesn't look as cool, right. but you can see your fingers better. And so it took me like a little bit of figuring out to get that. Um, things like just like setting things up, figuring out how to describe the animations to Jenny. Like that was another learning curve that we both had to get through was because she's not a musician. So I had to like, all these animations I had in my head that I've animated on YouTube before, I had to try to explain those to her and how they, they worked. So what I did was like, there was just hundreds of cue cards that came and I just drew it out on there and said, here's what I want. This thing flies in here. This thing does this. These things light up as this happens. And like major, major effort. But it's worth it. Feels really good when it's done. Yeah. Yeah, every week when I put out a podcast, it's like not even close to the same amount of work, but it's still a big chunk of time. And yep. I finish it and I'm like, oh yeah, I like doing this. Yeah, putting things into the world. I think that's the, one of the most fulfilling things as a musician that a musician can do is like create something, put their heart and soul into it. And the moment where you press, press release, like that's just like such a great moment to have. Um, and that can come in the form of like putting a ton of work into a show and like your version of press and release would be playing it live. Yeah. Like that's an amazing feeling is just to put that work in and put it out into the world. My audio clips are going to be really cut up because it keeps on cutting out. Um, I keep on restarting it. It's whatever this you it's 
so far it sounds good. So I'm not too good. worried about it. Um, uh, but, uh, I remember when I first, when I first started doing content creation, I guess would have been even before I started the YouTube channel, I was putting out like little Instagram videos and like putting a bunch of effort into like stepping up the quality on these 15 second videos. And it just felt so good to put that effort in and just upload it. It was like a little bit of a rush. Like, yes, it's going out there. Can't wait to see how many likes this gets or see what kind of comments people have. And it's like, it's, it's rewarding. And I tell anytime I've taught students, I've always told them like, one of the best things you can do is like, is create something to the best of your abilities. Just create something to the best of your abilities, capture it. Even if you don't put it out into the world, there's a lot that I've recorded that I've never released. But just doing that is really good for, for you, having an outlet for this thing that you're doing. If all you do ever do is practice, then you're going to think to yourself, like, why am I doing this, I think? At least I would. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of that is even coming out I'm I'm feeling a lot of that now in this whole situation. Like a couple times, I've I caught myself. I mean, I've been I have been practicing a lot over this whole global health crisis. But uh, I've caught myself a few times thinking, like, what am I doing? What like then? Who knows when I'm going to be playing outside of my bedroom next? Like, yeah. I mean, the other thing that's also think about it is like if you just genuinely really enjoy it then yeah i do but yeah then that's the, the, if you just like get a lot of fulfillment out of that then who am i to tell somebody to do anything else yeah but um, i guess my point is like when when you don't see the like the light at the end of the tunnel so to speak yeah there's no goal that you're like shooting for like there's no uh there's no gig to like rehearse for or whatever yeah you sort of catch yourself doing like does this is this yeah why is this fun could i do yeah could i do something more fun and i always found it was more fun to yeah having being able to put it out there and even if that just looked like putting it on soundcloud and getting 100 listens like that was fulfilling enough just to make it worthwhile getting a couple friends and family to listen to it. Like that's to me, that was like, as long as there was that outlet or something that made it all much more worthwhile than just thinking this is, I'm practicing for the sake of practicing. Right. Yeah. And it, like a, a cooler thing even happens like when you reach beyond that a little bit, like I, I think it's fair to say now that like most of my, most of my friends have like lost interest in this in music yeah, or... no in, in my podcast sure and like but my audience is growing so it's like it's yeah. like i would say that most of my audience is like people that i don't really know but i just like the odd acquaintance and like other whatever but it's like it becomes more of a thing when it's like oh this is for other people mm -hmm. so yeah because that certainly happens i saw that happen um very quickly, uh, I knew that the first couple of videos that I put out, it was like something new and exciting that all my friends were like, oh, whoa, what's, what's, what's Steve doing here? Let me check this out. But when you get up to video 300, there are a couple who still watch, and like I always appreciate that. But you realize like the bulk of the 
the bulk of those people watching have never met you before. Yeah. I had a, I had a weird experience this week. Um, I almost never do it, but like I've, I've done it for like record releases in the past, but I paid for a Facebook advertisement Yeah. and the amount of strangers that just started talking shit on the, on this advertisement was like unbelievable. Like I was just sitting there like deleting comments, like delete, 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 delete. Like people telling me I was posting spam to get off their timeline, posting like ridiculous gifts at me. Just craziness. Yeah, I wish I had that kind of interaction. I think my course has like 10 comments on it, the, uh, the Facebook ad for it. I don't know. I think I got to figure out the targeting. Yeah, that's very important. Because <laughs> if, you, if you're advertising a, a jazz-based improvised music podcast to a bunch of people who are not interested in that, yeah. then what is this? I mean, that's not the, like, it's kind of like, I guess that's where I started. It's like where I do most of my actual performing and playing. But the idea is to like slowly spread my wings. So it's just like a music podcast. Yeah. And not a jazz and improvised music podcast so much. Like obviously they'll be included, but it just kind of started. Facebook, just kind of started Facebook that way. advertising because, is a bit of a... No, go on. Fucking lag. Uh, it just started that way because that's where like most of my friends kind of exist in that yeah. line. And that's who you that's who you tap into for the first. Yeah. For the guests. Yeah. So YouTube YouTube is different than than other platforms because you feel a real connection with people, especially because they're most people are putting themselves out there. They're not putting a character out there for the most part, or they're putting like maybe a modified version of themselves into the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're staring at the camera, you're looking right at the camera when you talk to it and people feel a real connection with you, the person. You gotta think of also the places that they consume your content. They're on a phone, a phone can go anywhere. You're lying in bed watching a YouTube video, you're sitting on the toilet watching a YouTube video. You're sitting in your bath watching a YouTube video. These are very intimate places that I, I don't think our brains are evolved enough to say that they're if somebody's with me in those places, I must trust them, right? And I think weird things start to happen to you where you start feeling like you're more, you're closer to this person than you actually are. And there's times where I need to remind myself. I find myself guilty of this. I watch certain YouTubers all the time. And I just like, sometimes I'm, you imagine yourself meeting them and you're like, yeah, it'd be super cool. We'll be friends instantly. But then you realize this person has no idea who I am. I don't exist to this person, but you kind of feel, but you know, everything about them, you know, when their kid was born, you know, what, who their parents are. And you just feel this weird, close connection with them. And I think when you have those weird, close connections in an unstable mind, bad things can come of that. Definitely. Which is why I want to make sure that there's always that distance um, like I'm not telling just in case someone's not going to show up at my house. Someone's not going to try to find, be sitting here just like waiting to see me walk out of the house or like go take out my garbage or something. I will say every single encounter I've had with people who recognize me has been like, it's all been great. Um, and I think that will be, hopefully that's just always the case, but there was one time someone kind of followed me around a convention center, which was a little strange. 
I just saw this person um, came up, said hi, great conversation. But then, like everywhere I went, they were there too. I was like, this is this is weird. I feel uncomfortable with this. So weird. Um... But they feel like they know you, and it's like that's what this platform leads to. Yeah, which is like, so cool. Evolved. Part of it yeah. is so cool. It is. And the other, th- like another sidetrack of this is like. Um, hanging out with Joel for those of you keeping score Joel Cassidy from walk off the earth dear friend of both Mike and Steve dear friend we're gonna do a we're gonna do an episode in a couple weeks I think we should do a threesome episode I would that love would that be fun. I was actually thinking about that earlier today but anyway That'd like good time. I hang out with we him could re- we could relive the very first time we ever met, but go on. <laughs> what a disaster that was. <laughs> I can't believe this. I can't believe we made it this far. I know. Um, well, tell that story on that podcast. Uh, so anyway, I hang out with Joel and not one time ever has someone come up to talk to him about him being who he is while I'm around him. Really? He's never been recognized? I mean, not when I'm around. Yeah. And that's like... I, I, that that kind of surprises me. But also... So I have theories about this. I think I get recognized a disproportionate amount because you don't look at me and say, wait, is that Samurai Guitarist? You know right away. Right? Like, there's not a lot of people who look like me who wear their hair. Well, I, I mean, there are, but like to see like a Japanese looking dude with his hair in a bun, uh, with facial hair, probably wearing a shirt that is like somehow related to music. Yeah. You probably know. Um, I've heard other theories that couples who have channels get recognized way more often because if you see one person, you're like, is that that person? But if you see both of those two people, you're like, Oh, it's, it's for sure that. Right. And so when you have a guy like Joel, who maybe if his whole gimmick was like, his hair was like bright pink and it was like sticking straight up. He would get recognized way more yeah. because there's no, wait, is that that guy from walk off the earth or is it not? He's a little bit like more, more generic looking than other people would be. Yeah. I mean, as far as, as far as I'm concerned, like that's living the dream. Like he gets to do what he does so often and not have to deal with social interaction. Like that's my, you know, what's the dream. Buckethead. That guy nailed yeah. it. He plays whatever music he wants. He's one of the more famous guitar players, probably in the last however long, 20 years, because he has that gimmick. Like the guy playing Guns N' Roses. Yeah. He had a song that was on Guitar Hero. People know who Buckethead is. Even non musicians know his gimmick. But he takes that bucket off and he goes to Safeway and it's not a problem. <laughs> yeah. Like I. I fuck this up. Like my podcast picture is just me standing there with a beard holding a bass. I look like an upside down clown. Like, <laughs> come on. Come on. So, yeah, it's a weird thing. The whole social interaction. I don't know. Yeah, I don't do a whole lot of that. Didn't come even less with the whole pandemic, but that was one of the weird things that I also, I actually really miss about, um, living in Toronto, like as soon as I moved back here, stopped doing, I didn't stop doing gigs, 
but I stopped pursuing all that side of things actively and like networking or whatever you want to call it in that world and trying to build that. Like there were still times where um, people would just like call me up and hire me when I came back here. But most of that was like a couple of the friends that I had, like I wasn't trying to grow that circle or anything. Um, and as time progressed, like I just stopped doing all of that to the point where face-to-face -face interactions with musicians happen. Like I have one friend here who is a musician um, when I go to events that happens or when I like go to places where some of my YouTube friends are, that happens, but it's like, it's a, it's an irregular occurrence that I interact face to face with another musician, even more rare that oh, I play with another musician. You, oh, you said irregular. Irregular. Yeah. Ah. Like playing together with another musician is something I miss like crazy, like playing live. I also miss like crazy, but I don't, I don't want to do it. Like I don't miss the shitty gigs. Yeah. I miss the good gigs. Um, and I don't miss the time and effort that I've put into playing a gig. And there were three people there and none of them cared at all. And the ones they probably would have been just as happy as if the radio was playing kind of thing. Hmm. Like I don't want to go back to that. I have no desire to go back to that, but the gigs that were great. That's what I miss. Yeah. See, I miss like, I mean, I'm just so, it doesn't matter to me. Like I'm at peace with an empty room, you know, it's like the, just the, the privilege of playing with other people that I want to play with in a place is just like absolutely all I need. Yeah. And I think part of that comes with the music that I play, but. Well, that's a, that's a very good point because I think of the times where I did that, it wasn't my music. It wasn't the music that I deeply loved. I yeah. think that's a different story. If it's like, this is what I I would be happy to play this to no one. And that like, if you just love the music that much, that's a totally different story. But I have like, I don't even remember the last time I was in that situation. What was the last gig you played? Oh uh, man. Last gig I played, I think was like four or five years ago at the Manitoba museum of nature some there was like have you ever been there yeah grew up there my yeah. aunt used to yeah. work there okay so you know the the uh the boat that's there yeah what's the name of that boat the nonsuch yeah the nonsuch yeah of course um i was thinking it was the one that was on the the dime what's that one called the blue nose yeah yeah i was getting those two mixed up the nonsuch that's a small um, boat it is a small boat but we were playing like in the water area of that and i was just like playing with this girl um i don't even know how they got my information can't remember how, but I was playing just acoustic guitar. I think she was like 16. Like she was still in high school and her mom was like the coordinator of the event. And like, we just like strummed, um, like some, like a handful of pop tunes with a horrible sound, uh, as like these people like eat their like, cheeses and crackers and stuff. It was weird. I didn't, it wasn't terrible. It was, it was fine, but it was just like, I'm not going to pursue that. <laughs> That's cool. That's like, I, there's, I've been back to that museum like a couple times since I moved away. And there's something about like walking into a few of those rooms is, is such a, it's almost like, it's almost like I'm reliving trauma. 
like <laughs> but it's but not like I think this is called nostalgia. <laughs> right, but it's like such a strong nostalgia. I'm just sort of like what happened? You know? <laughs> what happened here? But it's just like it's such like a vibrant nostalgia that I'm just like oh something something may have gone wrong in here. Or very right. Yeah. But you true. probably wouldn't have repressed that one if it did. Um, yeah, I was at, every like 10 years I go to that museum and it's just, it hasn't changed much. And like, I, yeah, it's always fun to go back. But I think that was the last gig I played. I was about to do a gig before the pandemic started. If you want to call it a gig, like I was going to do a clinic. Yeah. Um, and this is like something that I really, really, really desperately want to get into. One of the things I find is like, I just miss um, interacting and like playing live for people. Mm. And so I was like, well, how can I do that with what I do? Um, eventually, like one of the goals is to put together a band, take it on the road, play original music. One day. It's not I'm, there yet. I'm ready. You're my, you're, I'm ready. Move, to, move to Winnipeg and we'll uh, sit on opposite sides of the rooms and have a social distance jam. Um, but it's like something that's, it's it'll happen. But that's got to be built kind of. Like I got to kind of put the music together and rehearse that band um, and find venues that make sense for this band to play at. And I have no idea if like the audience would, how well they'd receive that kind of thing. Cause it's fairly different than what I do. Uh, whereas like a clinic, sit there with my guitar, talk to people, do a Q and a, just get to hang out. And I think that makes a lot more sense at first. Mm -hmm. And also like, I just, I don't know how many people would come to it. But also here's the thing you, I would, I would assume that you have like you, you sort of have the younger side of a fan base, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's 18 to 34 would be the the demographic. Oh, really? Okay, yep. that's older than I... Okay, never mind. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, like, I was going to say, like, the longer you wait, your fans are going to grow up, and then they're going to be at that age where they can... I assumed you had, like, like early 20s, late teens... Um, I mean, there is some of that, yeah, but, but the YouTube I assume demographic that was... says it's 18 to 34 right. or so. Well, um, my marketing idea down the tubes. Well, you know, you don't always get winners. Some ideas <laughs> aren't good ones. Yeah, look, look at my life. I could write a book. <laughs> Maybe that is failing, failing upwards. Shit. <laughs> says the headphones go I've flying. This, I've done this before. Um, yeah, so I was about to like, this is something I've wanted to do. I said I was going to do it is start these guitar clinics. So I think they just like make a ton of sense. And it also, it's like, it's a low pressure situation. Like we had it planned at Long McQuaid. Um, it was free. If you want to come, come hang out evening with old Sammy G. Don't have to pay for the venue. Don't have to rehearse a band. If five people come out, it's not a failure. If a hundred people come out, great. 200 people come out. We can still deal with that. You can't, if you book a, a, a theater, then like there's, and five people come to your theater show, that's pretty rough. Problematic. But if, it's a, if it's a clinic, it's all good. So was about to do it. It was booked for March 25th. Had a bunch of like songs rehearsed so I could just like play them off the cuff if I needed to. And then, uh, and the whole world was stuck indoors. Bummer. So that didn't happen. Yeah. I'm, it was super upsetting because that's something I really want to, I would like to every year, like have a month where I just like take the clinic tour around the world. 
do yeah. a month across Canada. Next year, we're going to do uh, the West Coast of the U.S. Year after that, we do Europe. And I was really excited to do that, just like a break and doing something different. But yeah, nope. And then the other side of that is like once you get once you get like really comfortable and good at that, it's also a thing that you can do while you're on the road with your band. Yeah, definitely. And just that would like, be a big part of it too. And when people start seeing that you're doing this, this is the other thing. Nobody thinks of me as a guy who plays live. Um, so nobody's reaching out to me with those opportunities that say, hey, we want to book you and your band to come play the whatever. Yeah. We want to get you to come do a talk at whatever. No one thinks of me as a guy who does that. Um, and But you start putting that out there and then people realize, hey, maybe we should hire this guy to come do a talk at this thing, Canadian Music Week, whatever it is. Right. Not that Canadian Music Week gives a shit about me. Um, that might be a that might be a rant for another day. But that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a... Uh... I forget what I was going to say. It's an alternate thing that I can do I think, and just like one of the things that I miss also is like just doing different things. Um, even if I make different YouTube videos, at the end of the day, it's all I'm sitting in front of the camera for a while, and I'm also sitting in front of a computer putting it together for a while. Right. It's a very different experience when you like go and do something live, and then that's it. It's gone from the world. It was there, and now it's gone, and it's a change like that is would be nice. I've made 300 plus videos for five years and just like breaking it up with something like that every year would be like really something that I would really look forward to. So yeah, it's, when, when the pandemic's over, when the vaccine's out, I'm going to revisit that. Don't. Yeah. Don't get me started. Um, <laughs> on the vaccine. If I have to wait for a vaccine to play another gig, Oh my God. We're going to be in trouble. You're going to start live streaming is what you're going to do. Oh, like I mean, everyone I'm not else. Gonna, I'm not going to do it. I've held off on the quarantine live stream. Yeah. Fuck off. Quarantine live stream. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty jealous of like, jealous is the wrong word. Um, like, I just don't think I have, it'd be very weird if I did a clinic. Um, just because the way, like the way that I think about things and the way that I've sort of taught myself to do things. Um, well, sometimes those unorthodox or those weird or those wrong things are very interesting for people when they sound good. Like I'd go and sit to, at a Thelonious Monk clinic if you were alive and just like, here, like how, how does this guy think about music? It could be something that makes no sense in my brain. But like, I'd love to hear it. Right. But now the difference here, uh, now bear with me. Thelonious Monk is a literal genius, <laughs> you know? So tough sell for, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I would answer every question just like, yeah, you, you, you know, just, uh, figure it out. Do it, do it your own way. Some people need to hear that. <laughs> yeah, true. You, you had a great name for, for a second. I was talking, we were talking about, 
I think maybe the last time I saw you, you told me that I should make a, I should do a, a book of some sort. Yeah. What was my name for it? I remember, I specifically remember it was a good name. I don't know. It was a good name. It was a good idea too, whatever it was. I don't know what I'm doing and you can too. Yes, that was it. That was exactly it. I don't know what I'm doing and you can too. If nothing else, I would just make a great, a funny video or a funny meme. Do you think we're going to see hockey again this year? Nope. I don't. I don't. I think, okay, no, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I wouldn't be surprised if we did. I wouldn't, I don't think, I think it's very unlikely. I think it's a bad idea. Right. I, I would, as a fan, I would, I want to. Yeah. But as, I think there's things that are more important and I think it would be not a good idea to start hockey again, just say, you know what? We don't know what to do with this situation. It sucks. Don't know how to finish this. It's not going to be right. We're starting. We're making sure that the next season could be a full season. I don't want to see some 24 team playoff where some maybe some guy gets sick and then it spreads around. I really don't want to see that. I don't want to see um, a, some family guy uh, who needs to not who needs to go and stay in the city for two months who doesn't really want to be there. Yeah, being stuck there away from his kids. I don't know. I I I think it's just it's tough. It's like like part of the one of the incredible things about the NHL and especially playoffs is how taxing it is. Yeah. So you play whatever how many games? However, how many games? Eighty two. Sixty two. Eighty two. Eighty two games, and then you go basically right into playoffs which is like the most extreme. Yeah. You step it up. Now you're playing at least, well, at least four more games, but like upwards of seven times four, whatever that is. Yeah. And there's just like, it's just so intense. Like at the end of the, at the end of each series, there's like guys on the ice with several guys on each team with like broken bones and injuries. And it's just, that's why the Stanley cup is such an insane thing to watch. Like, yeah, even when the jets aren't in, I'm locked in. Yeah, me too. So I think yeah. having this break, it kind of dumbs it down a little bit for me. I don't know. And I thought I didn't think it was going to happen, but then I saw an interview with Paul Maurice on CJOB. Did you see this one? No. He said he's certain the Stanley Cup will be awarded this year. And he's not a guy that like, he doesn't just say stuff, you know? He's like a very thought out, meticulous... How, can he, how could he say that, though? I don't know. I Big, big Paul Maurice fan. But how could you... It'd be one thing, I think, if Gary Bettman said that, because, like, that's his job is to say, yeah, we're doing this, because we, as soon as they say, no, it's off, everyone loses interest. They're trying to just, like, make sure it's interest stays in it but i don't know how like a coach would have that information unless like there's already been a decision made i i mean as a fan i would love to be watching hockey now it would make my life it would add a really nice break into the monotony that a pandemic has been 
not so much anymore over the last four weeks, having a kid has changed things quite a bit, but like leading up to that, it was like, man, I would do anything just to watch the jets tonight and take my mind off this. But I feel like it would be kind of like watching. If you knew like some guy just got a concussion, like we're on the next shift, you kind of be, would be like feeling like that. Like I'm, I'm worried that this, something's going to, someone's going to get infected and it's going to become a huge issue. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's safe. And in order to make it safe, I think you would, you'd have to really be asking a lot of people who you already ask a lot of from, and I'm not talking about just the players. I'm talking about guys like you'd have to isolate trainers, staff in a city away from their families. Just doesn't really seem right to me for something that wouldn't even have the same. It wouldn't be the same. The Stanley Cup wouldn't be the same unless they finished unless they finish the season off or, or whatever, it just wouldn't be the same. And you're asking people to, uh, I don't know. I don't see it happening. How could it happen? The border's closed. NHL players aren't essential workers. That's true. Yeah. Who knows? There's probably a way around that. I don't know the nuances of that. Yeah. I mean, part of me for so long, I've just been thinking about this, like just the easiest way to put it is like, if some kid working at the grocery store for, minimum wage is an essential worker part of me is like well these guys making millions a year can kind of knuckle it up and just go for it go play go play that's sort of been how i've been looking at it but because just if you if you break it down like if they're quarantined for the most part like they're not locked in their homes right now, right? No. So the difference between an NHL player going to a hockey arena from his house is likely like especially if the arena is like a quarantined area and there's no fans and it's just like limited access teams only basically that's way lower risk than like the hockey player or his wife going to a grocery store in my mind anyway. But you're also now like, I don't think it's say you like you take all these guys and you stick them in Las Vegas or wherever you got to feed them. Okay. So where's that food coming from? They're not just like getting, I guess like it's somebody coming and cooking for them. Right. Is there somebody who's coming making up their bedrooms at the hotel every day? These guys traveled from all around the world to come to this one little place. It sounds troublesome, not just for them. Because chances are, if you're a professional athlete, you're going to be fine if you get coronavirus. Chances are yeah, you're in that bracket that would be able to get over it and survive without any major um, health ramifications. You also have like the best doctors in the world there. You also have the tests available to you to tell you if you, you get it. But it's more like, you know, the trainers, more the whoever is whatever this thing looks like. There's a lot of working parts that are going to go into making this this work. A lot of people who need to to be involved. And those people are not always going to be compensated well, which or they're not always going to be like making tons of money to make it worthwhile is what I guess I'm trying to say. The person who makes who's going to be cooking their meals or the person who's cleaning their sheets at the hotel that they're quarantined at. 
there's always that chance that like that's where things spread to like unless they're quarantined too and at that point it's like how many people are you removing from their family so that people can watch hockey it's tough i don't know what the answer is so i don't tough. think there's a right answer or a wrong no. answer it's like there's no there's nothing we can look back and say okay well this is what we did last time this happened so this is what makes sense for me personally from a purely selfish view i think i would just rather see a normal season next year and that's the priority than something that messes up both both years i say that as someone whose team wasn't in a playoff spot leading into it so like if you're but we were your team's got the heartbreaker is that we were on such a roll there at the end i know i know we're moving forward kyle connor was lighting it up boys were firing cody eakin yeah the franchise god he forgot he was on the jets cody eakin just put us on his back yeah pionk was playing great everything but i could see how if your team was like right at the top you're like this is our year you're thinking a little bit differently about the situation. But even if, if the Jets won this year in some weird format... There's still an asterisk beside it, you know? Yeah, it's like still a weird one. I don't know. I don't know either. Do you know I'd Cody? Like to, I, I, I refed him once when I was... Uh, I don't remember how old I was. But he was in House League, lighting it up in House League like two years advanced. It's crazy. Um, and I specifically remember, it's like, oh, this, this little ginger kid is really good, like among the best I've ever seen in my days of refing. And he's like five and these kids are seven. And I remember people were talking about him. I think maybe he has a relative who's involved in hockey. Maybe not. But I remember like people were talking about him back then, and I just kind of followed his career because I always remember, hey, there's that Winnipeg kid who I ref that one or two times there's i found myself thinking less and less about hockey these days um and as soon as it comes back i'll be like right back on right back on board but it just seems like there's more important things in the world um that require the resources than hockey right now if there's a limited amount of tests i don't think you should be giving them to a bunch of nhl players every day yeah. I think Gary Bettman said that they, they would only do that if they weren't taking things away from medical staff. But man, besides medical staff, there's also a lot of other people who I think should be getting those tests before people who play a game to amuse us. Yeah. yeah. And then the other, the other flip side is like how much, how important is something like that to keep like the general population sane? So important. It's so important. Like when I get to the point in the week where I'm out of, when I'm just simply out of podcasts to listen to, yeah, that's that. That's when the spiral starts. You know, not being able to play hockey um, and soccer, which are like my two my two leisure activities, has been very. That's been the toughest thing that I've I think I've dealt with because those are the two things where like I work at home, I stay inside a lot, yeah. But those are the two excuses to go out, hang out, socialize, do something that is totally unmusic related that I really look forward to, uh, keeps me very sane. And like just removing those, that was, to me, the worst part about this situation. Yeah, like but my... if if that's the worst part, it's an inconvenience. And I remind myself that like if that's what I have to complain about, I didn't lose my job. I don't know anyone who's been seriously affected or seriously gotten sick. 
Yeah. Um, so like it's an inconvenience and I can deal with that. Yeah, for sure. But the, like the little things, the little inconveniences that start to add up, mm-hmm. then that's when they become problematic. Like I can't play gigs. I can't go to work. I can't yeah. play. I can't play my hockey game. Like I can't go to rec league hockey. I can't go to shinny. You know, I can't go out for, I can't go get spicy noodles down the street. All of these Can things. Can you not, is Burlington, uh, are the restaurants open there? Uh, I'm not, you can do takeout, but I like, I spend most of my time in Toronto still. Right. Um, but you also wouldn't go to Toronto cause you don't have a reason to go there because if you're not working, you're not doing your gig. Um, why, why are you going there? Well, that's where my apartment is. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I live like right across the street from the Rex. Oh, I know the exact location. I thought you still lived in Burlington. No. Um, but it's like, so, yeah, it's a lot of little things that add up. Yeah. So it's like having a couple things back. But I guess it's me being selfish. People are dying, whatever. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, th- I don't think you can discount. I think emotions, one of the things I really strongly believe in is that you don't control your emotions. You control what you do with them. So if you feel sad for whatever, if it's the most minimal thing, that doesn't discount your sadness that somebody has it worse off. Right. Yeah. That's a so good way to. It's like, it sucks that I can't play hockey. And that makes me bummed out. Um, but the fact that some someone, um, whole family just died of whatever doesn't make me happier. It's just like, it just, it doesn't change that, that little radar of that emotion or that the dial of that emotion. Yeah. I think we just, I think we may have found your next course. What's that? Samurai therapy. Sammy G therapy. Kind of like it. Probably Um, use some of that myself. Uh, yesterday yeah yesterday i watched your video where you were doing like the homemade guitar effects <laughs> and that was, a, that was a great one it was, that was one of my so favorite good. videos the one when you're sitting beside the toilet and you look at the camera like i can forget what you said what am i doing with my life do you ever wonder like what are you doing with your life nope me, me neither, neither. <laughs> <laughs> i cackled and i spilled my water nice that's always the goal we've been going for What's a while the- we have what's the vibe like in Toronto? Are people respecting things? Are people scared? Like what's the uh most people are pretty chill. There's not a lot of people around. Um right at like Queen and University gets pretty sketchy at times. Like there's okay, a what's... there's a lot of weirdos out. Um uh, or maybe it's it's hard Pandemic to Pandemic influenced or like or this is just like just general weirdos. It's hard to tell. Like, um, and I mean, I shouldn't call them weirdos, but people who are dealing with shit. Um, there's a lot of a lot of people out that are that are like that seem to be a little bit unstable or something. And I'm not sure if that's. Um, I'm not really sure if it's business as usual or if it's just. And it's just amplified because there's no one else around. It's kind of hard to tell, but it's like at times, like I walk to Rexall at night and sometimes it's like, maybe I should go home. Yeah. 
and and like I'm also doing a couple nights a week I'm doing overnight security at the wrecks so I just sit there by myself and I see people out the window like walking around screaming and there, there's That's been kind a, of always a case there though no yeah like I I, it's hard to tell though because there's nothing else going on and it's so quiet. I, that's an interesting point because before that person was surrounded by 20 other normal people and it doesn't become as much of a thing. It's much more eerie when somebody's by themselves walking around doing that. Right. So there's been times where I'm in there alone, the lights are off, they don't know anyone's in there, and I'm seeing this person like screaming at the window and I'm like clutching onto a broom, like thinking. This is my last line of defense. Like I might have to, I might have to get to work here in a second if this goes one way. Like it's, 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 it's kind of at moments. It's like there's certain moments where I'm like, I should not be here. Is the TTC still operating business as normal? Yeah. Um, but I don't really. I can walk yeah. to work, so. I mean, it's hard to, I don't have a, a super clear view of what things are like. Cause like I haven't left the house for the most part in basically two months. Like all our groceries are delivered. We went to the hospital, came back, but that's been it. So like, I haven't been downtown Winnipeg, so I don't know what it's like. I haven't been to the malls. I don't know what it's like, but are the malls open? Yeah, they just opened. I mean, oh. Winnipeg, we have been hit. We've been very fortunate. There's been a lot of factors that have led to this thing um, not hitting the city very hard. And I think also like people have like, people got it. Uh, they didn't get sick, but they got the, the, the severity of the situation. Um, and when you do go out now, so like today for the first time I did something that was going out. I dropped my car off to get my winter tires for swapped. And I walked back from the, the tire place. And like when I was walking down the street, you see, like you come this way, both people go like this. Yeah, and like people just like they buy into it, they get it. Um, yeah. Even very, very early on, like Jenny and I would go for walks, and this was back when it was still winter. So I'm thinking this was like March 12th. We had maybe one case in Winnipeg, if any at all. And even at that point, like we went for a walk, and we could still see those kind of things happening. So I think people bought into it. There's not a lot of international travel here. Anything is slower to hit Winnipeg, whether that be fashion, whether that be food trends, whether that be viruses, they come here slower. The fact that we're all spaced out, nobody lives. It's not like in Rome where you look at places that are just packed and packed and packed on top of themselves. Mm. Street upon street, you don't really get that here. There's a lot of urban sprawl. It's a driving city. People do take the transit, but like that's not an institution. Like You drive around here. Yeah, It's big. It's spaced out and i think a lot of those things just led to the fact that it never hit us that hard like there over the last week i think there was one new case yeah that's not that much and and before that and i'm talking manitoba before that there was like a couple cases in brandon which is two hours away so like we're on i I don't know the exact number but we're like two weeks and we've had one new case in winnipeg so we've kind of slightly changed what we're doing over the last couple of days, like we went uh, to a friend's place and normally before we never would have done this, but like we sat on opposite sides of his deck, ordered takeout, hung out there. Um, that was what, that was our version of like, kind of like le- loosening up a little bit. Yeah. But I think most people get it. And I think because of that, 
it hasn't become a huge issue. You just hope that, because all it takes is like one person to come and everybody loosens their, their, their guard a little bit and then it just blows up mm-hmm. and you just hope that that doesn't, that doesn't happen. Yeah. It's interesting. Think, like, yeah. People in Toronto get it. Like there's lots of street crossing. No, like there's a lot of space at the grocery store when you go, but like, it's it's super interesting like it sort of like sparks my conspiracy theory mind a little bit like what's up it's interesting when you live in a city where there's so many people getting this virus and i don't know anyone i've known people and all the people that i know in new york and how bad they've been hit and i still don't know anyone i know people in new york too so it's who have it huh um, but you got to look at the numbers as well. Yeah. Like, I you mean, prob- I just want to clarify, I'm absolutely say- not saying this isn't real, but it does. You could see how somebody would make that jump to that, that Correct. conclusion. Yeah. I think one of the things to remember is like one, if one out of a hundred people, if you know a hundred people and the odds of getting this, I don't know exactly what they are, are like one in a hundred and you're in the kind of the demographic where there's a very good chance they, they're not going to the ICU about it, you probably would never hear about it. The guy that I know who got it uh, in Winnipeg, who I know for certain, actually, no, I know a couple of people who got it here, but the guy I know 100% for certain who got it, like he got tested, he was in Florida for a bachelor party and came back here and he was asymptomatic and he still was able to get the test. Um, I don't know exactly how. I have suspicions on that, but he was still able to get tested, even though just because he had been traveling, I think he had like, connections higher up. Yeah, I thought they were due. like, you could if you were traveling, they were testing you or something. They did, but at first, that wasn't the case. Oh. Um, but anyway, he was like asymptomatic. He never would have known, and I don't think he probably ever would have been tested had he not been like kind of connected in the world. Um, and then it wasn't like he also made a Facebook post about it. I found out through another one of my friends that one of those cases that they had mentioned earlier on was this guy that I know. Um, there would be no reason that I would have known, even though I didn't know this guy. Uh, another person who I know who got it, they traveled, light flu-like symptoms. Um, I know his his sister I know her quite well. And so she just kind of mentioned, it's like, oh yeah, my brother had, has this thing. And it's like, it wasn't a huge point. It wasn't like, it kind of, I guess, eventually came up. Like it wasn't like she, the first thing she says, like, blah, 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 he's got it. And so I think you likely do know people who have had it, whether they've made it public, whether they even know they had it is questionable. Yeah. Uh, There's a trombone player in New York and I only knew about this because our mutual friend, Adam Neely, like shared a post about him on Facebook. Um, and then I just like, was kind of like following his, his story. And like, he went from, you can see it on his Facebook page. He went from saying, man, I'm really dealing with some strong allergies. Uh, can't practice trombone or whatever. Had to cancel this thing today because my allergies are so bad. Next post eventually is like, this guy is now in a coma tested positive for coronavirus fast forward like 30 days and he's out out of it. He like had the, uh, the, the tracheotomy, 
like where they had to open your throat yeah. to breathe, get the ventilator. And now he's like, he's on the mend, got a GoFundMe page going. But they're out there. And like that person, that guy has one degree of separation from you. So you know of, you know someone who knows someone. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. And it's just like, unless you're like really, I think, digging around looking for it. And if I had it, I probably wouldn't have told people. I definitely didn't. But it wouldn't be like something that I made public, is what I'm saying. So you probably, I suspect, did do know people. Anything else you want to cover today? <laughs> I, this is two hours. Yeah, we've been going for a minute. Um, maybe. Um, when it's done, just like send me the link to it. Yeah, do you want to hear it before I share it? Nope, I am not going to listen back. Great. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. Any, any other pressing issues you want to get out to your people? Nope. I think that's it. Stay, wear your mask. Just wear, just wear the mask. It's not a big deal. Yeah, it's not a big deal.